I wanted to start off by telling you a story about my family and growing up. And we loved, my family loved science. We loved museums and learning, especially NASA and all things space. I remember so many of our family vacations revolved around going to a, at least one museum or something especially space related. We went to Kennedy Space Station in Cape Canaveral. We went to uh, the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. We even went to Wallops Island of all places. And we went to Houston, the space center there. Remember, Houston, we have a problem. We went there on three separate trips until we were finally able to visit Mission Control. It was such an amazing experience for each and every one of us. You can tell that I'm even still excited as I think about it. But I remember as a little kid standing there looking up at the rocket engines and they were so big. It was something just so magical about this thing that could make it to outer space. And oh, I should rem remind you that I loved the Dippin' Dots. It was the first time I ever had them. These little things, they felt like they were from space that would stick to your tongue. Man, they were good. But the whole experience created this sense of awe and amazement. The sense of wonder at what humans could achieve if we just worked together and if we just worked for a common goal towards reaching space. It was all a part of the space race, which was so important in that season. But there, there's this thing that happens sometimes where something comes up and it changes everything. And for the space program, that was January 23rd, 1986. It's a moment that I will never forget. And I'm probably the youngest person uh, here watching today that would actually remember watching it and being present. What happened on January 23rd, 1986? Well, that was the date of the Challenger. The Challenger was supposed to be this exciting trip up to space and they, had, they even had a teacher on board and they were gonna do all of these uh, school assignments and projects and it was, it was this momentous day for the space program and kids were watching all across schools across the nation. But something happened just shortly after liftoff. The Challenger exploded. And people just, there was a gasp and it took everybody's breath away. They couldn't believe that this had just happened. We had been to space before and it had been safe and, and yet this time something went wrong. That was a date that would forever change the space program because in that moment, NASA discovered what they didn't know. We have a saying, what we don't know can't hurt us. But in that moment, what they didn't know did hurt them. And there was something wrong that forever changed the space program and they had to figure it out. And NASA refused to call it an accident because they wanted to figure out exactly what went wrong so they could fix it so that it would never happen again. But the shuttle program was shut down for two years while they sought answers. But just like the NASA program, Sometimes we have blind spots too. And this morning, I wanna talk a little bit about our blind spots. There's a thing that we sometimes call the Jahari window. It's a quadrant of four different places. And we talk about the, the realm of learning or knowing. And I wanna twist this a little bit to, to show us something this morning. 
But in this first window, it talks about it's the unconscious. It's where we are ignorant. It's we don't know what we don't know. In this first column, we don't know what we don't know. And, and, and we're blissfully sometimes ignorant until something changes and we realize what we don't know can hurt us. And then we move into the second quadrant. That's the quadrant of discovery. It's where we know what we don't know. We begin to discover something. And sometimes that's a painful experience. And sometimes we just learn it in another way. But we discover what we do not know. And then we begin the process of learning. And it moves us over to the third quadrant, where we know what we know. And that's the process of moving from discovery to learning, where we begin to, to dig into something and say, there's something for me to learn so that I can begin to understand and begin to move into competence, to begin to move forward. And then the fourth quadrant. The fourth quadrant can take us in two different directions. It's where we now don't know what we know. And that can be one of two things. One, it can be amnesia, where we slowly forget because it's been a long time since we read that book, and we can move back and make the same mistakes again. Or it could be something that where it just becomes ingrained knowledge, like walking. When was the last time you actually thought about walking? Probably, if you're like me, not very often. But maybe if you've had a surgery or a spinal cord injury or something happened and you, you realize that you need to relearn or rethink about walking. And you have to go through that process again, but, but for most of us, walking is in that ingrained knowledge category where we just know it, we just live it. It's a part of who we are and it's not until pain comes up that we circle back through the process of learning. But all of this is a part of our journey. When we fail or when we learn what we don't know, it can often be painful. And our first response, I know my first response sometimes, is to get defensive. And, and, and I, like I find something out and I, and I get defensive and I'm like, well, not me, not me. That's often sometimes our first response. Or sometimes our second response is we become the critic. And with the challenger, there were many critics. There were those who said, oh, we should have never done this. Or we should just give up now. Or it's, it's too much money. And there were lots and lots of critics. But there are critics everywhere. And there's critics in our life. There's critics in our world. Or there is a third option. Instead of being defensive, instead of being the critic, we can get curious. And when we get curious, we begin the journey of discovery. And we all need to walk this path in multiple different ways of our lives. We all walk this path of discovery. And maybe this morning you're in that place of beginning to realize what you, you know that you don't know some things. You're becoming aware of something. And maybe it's been a, a painful experience in your life recently. Or maybe as you look around, you see the wreckage of something that once was supposed to be full of promise. Or maybe you're just coming this morning with a little bit of anxiety or pain and you just feel overwhelmed. Life feels unmanageable and you feel disillusioned and you just aren't sure how to move on. And there are critics all around you saying, just give up. Just give up, you know, and there's that voice in the back of my head that sometimes says, Ryan, you can't do this. 
Maybe that's where you are this morning. But each one of us have a choice. What do I do? Where do I go from here? Do I get defensive? Do I get critical? Or do I get curious and begin the journey of discovery? This morning, we're going to look at the story of a man in Scripture who learned something about his own people, and it was painful for him. And many people in his own era, including his own people, didn't want to face the reality. And so they didn't want to face it, much less do anything about it. But this man was different. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up or follow along on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 20. Let me just start the, set the stage here a little bit for us this morning. Nehemiah is one of the smaller books in the Bible. It's only about 13 chapters in the Hebrew Scriptures and what we often call the Old Covenant. Now, even for me, as I dig into Scriptures, I still learn new things. And, and I learned, I got curious and I learned some new things this morning. One of the ones that I learned is I didn't know that in the Hebrew Bible, in the Jewish Bible, Ezra, the book that comes right before Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah are actually one book because it tells the same story. And Ezra actually comes back at the end of the book of Nehemiah. But the story is being told of the people of Israel had been taken captive and they had been taken to Persia. And over generations, they began to live there and settle there. But over time, a new king came in and was more gracious and allowed some of the people to return. That's the start of the book of Ezra, as people begin to return. And they rebuild the temple, what's called the second temple period. And then Nehemiah comes on the scene, about 445 years before Christ. Nehemiah comes in, and Nehemiah was in the king's court. He was one of his right-hand men in this Persian court. He had gained a level of influence. He was the cupbearer. And then one day, Nehemiah discovers that the walls of Jerusalem have not been rebuilt. He rediscovers his own roots and his own people. And it's this painful experience for Nehemiah where he begins to weep when he finds out the plot of his own people. And the king finds out and he asks the king if he can go back to Jerusalem and do something about it. You see, in those days, to not have a wall around a city was to leave it unprotected. In that time, that was often a matter of life and death. It'd be like if somebody took your bank account and just put it up on the internet. Anybody was just free to come and take it. And without walls, that's how Jerusalem was. Anybody was just free to just come and raid and take advantage of the Jewish people. And so Nehemiah knew that and it broke his heart. And so we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts, donkeys, with him, uh, except the one that I was riding. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well, in the Dungate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount, the donkey, to go through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the walls. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as of yet, I had not 
or I had said nothing to the Jews or to the priests or to the nobles or to the officials or to anyone else who would have been doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. Then when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite and the official Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Let's stop there. Nehemiah sets out in a different way. And there's three points that I want us to see about Nehemiah, about his character, about how he responds to this new information, this crisis, when he learns what he doesn't know. And the first is this, Nehemiah sees desolation as an opportunity. You see, Nehemiah saw the broken down walls and the, and the burned gates that had been there for generations and everybody else had seen them and just passed by. But Nehemiah, Nehemiah saw something different. In Nehemiah 1 verses 4, it says, when he first heard the words that the walls had been broken down, he sat down, he wept, he fasted and he prayed and it opened his eyes so that whenever he got to Jerusalem, he saw with new eyes that he wanted to do something different. He wanted to lean in and be a part of something else. And so he saw this desolation as an opportunity. You know, so often in church and in life, we hear people who begin to critique and they say, what this church needs, or I can't believe our government officials, or if I was there, I would have done X, or our schools are really bad and in bad shape and someone ought to do blank. And we gripe and we complain and we, we become self-proclaimed prophets and armchair quarterbacks and they abound everywhere because it's so easy to analyze and critique in the past tense. But it's so hard to be the one to lean in to actually do something about it. And this is exactly what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah saw desolation as an opportunity. And so rather than a critic, he got curious. And that moves us to our second point. Nehemiah began the process of discovery. He saw it as an opportunity to learn. We see it in verse 13. It says, By night he went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed and broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. He examined exactly what was happening, where the rocks were, what could be rebuilt, how the fire had burned, and what would need to be replaced. And he took down all of the information and began to think about what it would take. But he started this discovery process. He got curious. You see, Nehemiah was willing to be wrong, and he didn't know what he didn't know, but he wanted to know. And so he was willing to go out and to examine the walls and to begin to look in and say, here's where it's cracked, here's where it's broken, and he jotted that down so that he would know how to respond. To find the truth, that journey is about learning. 
And it's important to, to, to set up a right and strong foundation. And Nehemiah knew that, but before he began to build, he knew that he needed to get curious. And he began to ask questions. And he began to think, what if there's a different way? What if there is a different way to live? You see, we need to sometimes just stop accepting what is normal. It's, it had been that way for so many generations. The people that lived there, just they overlooked it. They didn't even see it. It just always been there. But Nehemiah saw it with new eyes and he knew that God wanted to do something. And Nehemiah knew that just because it had always been that way didn't make it right. They needed walls. They needed protection. They needed new gates to come in and out of. What if? What if the world is naive? What if the world is short-sighted? And Nehemiah knew that. Nehemiah saw with new eyes because he had a, a vision from God. And that moves us to our third point. Nehemiah was on a journey of discovery because he knew that it was an opportunity to do something. In verse 18, he says, So he told them about how the gracious hand of God was on him. And what the king had said to him, because the king actually gave him permission to go, actually gave him some of the resources that he would need to rebuild. And then they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began the good work. They began to rebuild the foundations. And Nehemiah knew that to rebuild the foundations, the first thing that he needed to do was deconstruct so that they could reconstruct. He had to begin to pull things apart. He had to begin to clean the rocks off and set things right. He had to begin to tear down what existed of the burned gate so that he could rebuild. But it all began the process, and they began. And they put their hand to the plow, and they didn't look back. And Scripture says, and they began the good work. It was good. It was a part of God's vision. But it all started with this process of discovery. It started with this process of Nehemiah saying, I don't know what I don't know, but I want to know. And then he began to learn, and then he began to lean in and began to do something about it. So my question to, to us, to me this morning is, what is God calling us to do? How are we like Nehemiah? Where in my life am I experiencing something broken in my life? Maybe as I look around my life, I see wreckage everywhere, broken down gates and broken down walls. And maybe this morning, you're, you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor Ryan, you don't know, my, my walls have been broken down and I feel like I've been taken advantage of and people have hurt me and, and I just feel vulnerable and I don't know what to do about it. Or maybe, maybe you're the opposite this morning, and I know it doesn't quite fit the example, but maybe your walls are so built up that you're just keeping everybody out. But no matter what it is, if our life has become unmanageable, I believe that God wants us to begin to lean in and to get curious. You know, sometimes we need to hold up the mirror and begin to look at our life and say, where is my life unmanageable? You know, just like the challenger, what we don't know can hurt us. And that's why it's so important to build our life on the foundation of God's truth, on the foundation of God's heart and his character, and following Jesus in life. Because if we don't, it can lead us into hurt and brokenness. And maybe that's where you are this morning. So maybe we need to go back to the beginning.
You see, the goal of rebuilding the foundations is about transformation and being transformed by truth. And it's not about just this head knowledge. It's not about religion and rules, but it's about a relationship with God and his truth as revealed in the person of Jesus. To experience God's way of doing life, to walk in the way of Jesus. And, and maybe in order to fall in love with Jesus, we do need to fall in love with his scriptures, to dig in and find out what he truly says to each and every one of us and learn what his words would have to say to you and to me this morning and how they may change my life, our lives. I'll never forget one of my professors in um, school used to always say that scripture was pregnant with meaning, meaning that as we dig in, that we find life within life. And that's what God would have us do. I think that's what God would have us do is to get curious about his word, to get curious about his character and to begin to discover that there is life within life for me, for us, for each one of us this morning. The more we are transformed by God's truth, the more we should begin to act and look like Jesus. And I'm the first to confess that I don't always get that right. But when I'm made aware of that, I want, I want to get curious. I want to get curious about why I respond that way or how I can begin to respond in a different way so that there isn't wreckage in my life or I don't hurt other people in the process. You see, I believe that we are in a unique season. We are coming out of a season of desolation, out of COVID, out of brokenness, out of really difficult political seasons. And, and, and I'm not saying that things are all just going to go back to normal would be perfect. I'm not saying that, but I believe that we are in a unique season where we can begin to reevaluate our lives. And, and there's so much hurt and bitterness and loneliness in our world and in some of our lives that, that we, can, we can either get bitter and critique or we can just accept this dysfunction as normal. Or, like Nehemiah, we can get curious. And we can begin the process of discovery. I believe that learning is beautiful. And I know, I know, like me, some of you are saying, I don't know about that, Pastor Ryan. I went to school and learning wasn't always pretty. Yes, learning can sometimes be hard. But it's beautiful. Just imagine if we didn't know all of those things. Just imagine if I went to the grocery store and I didn't know what two plus two meant and how to figure out how to pay my bills. Learning is beautiful because it sets us up for life later on. In the same way, what, when we begin to ask the question, what is God up to in our world? We begin this learning process of discovery, of discovering who God is, his character and what he is doing and what his Holy Spirit is doing in and through each of us and through the church in our world. That is the process of discovery. You know, this week as I was thinking about this, I was also thinking about being a parent and what it means to, to, to kind of walk this out with our kids. You see, so often we think of discipline and we think of, of punishment. But discipline is not punishment. No, discipline is an opportunity to learn. Many people use discipline and punishment interchangeably, but they are not synonyms. They're, they're actually two separate things. Punishment is inflicting suffering in someone for their past behavior. And when we punish people, often they rarely actually learn. They just resist. They pull back and they say, I don't want to do that again. 
But discipline, on the other hand, discipline comes from the root word of to disciple. That's what Jesus did. He was about teaching and learning and instructing and showing us how to live, showing his followers how to live so that we can actually learn and be transformed to show us a different way. He doesn't just stand back and critique and and God doesn't just stand up there and smite us from heaven. No, God is a God of discipline who, who, who walks alongside of us, cares for us and shows us a more beautiful way. This is a teaching moment. It's an opportunity to connect, to grow, and to live a different way. Catherine is in the stage where she's just beginning to learn to crawl. And I love actually getting down on the, on the ground with her and actually, like, I know how to crawl, I know how to walk, I don't need to do this. But to get down on the ground and get face-to-face with her and actually begin to, like, help her discover, to see the smile creep across her face, to hear her giggles as she begins to rock. And she's not quite at crawling yet, but I believe that she's going to get it. And it's going to be beautiful. But if I just stood back and said, and yelled at her and critiqued her, she would never want to learn. But as I get down on the ground, she begins to have this love of learning. And it inspires a different way of living. Because to discover something is beautiful. I don't know how many of you watched, were there, um, online uh, or on TV at the memorial service for the Challenger crew. But in that moment, President Ronald Reagan said this, sometimes when we reach for the stars, we fall short, but we must pick ourselves up again and press on despite the pain. You know, some of us are at a point in our lives where we're in a lot of pain. It's time to pick ourselves up and to keep pressing forward. There is only a very small group of people who have ever made it to space. But for those who have, they say that it takes your breath away. It changes your perspective on things to truly see the universe in all of its beauty. You know, this morning, church, I sit there and think, how much more so when we truly encounter the Creator of the universe, the one who created it all, who designed it all, and who intricately knows us by name. Shouldn't that change our perspective? Shouldn't that draw us into something more beautiful to see the God of the universe walking with us, caring for us, and showing us a different way to live? That just makes me so excited. You see, some of us are here this morning And we may be spiritually seeking, trying to figure this whole thing out. Or maybe you're just at a point in life where it's really hard and it's painful. And maybe you're currently struggling in your walk with God and you're going, I don't know if I should just give up. Or maybe I should walk away. Let me ask you the question of what if there's more? What if God has something more for each and every one of us? You know, sometimes we don't know what we're missing. Don't you want to know what you're missing? Psalm 34, 8 says this. God reminds us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I love that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't know about you, but I love going to restaurants and trying new foods. And sometimes when I taste something, I'm like, "Mm, that's good, but I don't think I'm going to try it again. But whenever I really taste something that's amazing, it just, oh, it lights me up. And I... 
Jen and I just had this experience last week and then I was telling everybody about it because I was like, man, you got to experience this place. It's awesome. That's how it is with Jesus. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good and he loves us. He is gracious towards us. And blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Or to paraphrase that, who like Nehemiah, who builds their foundation on him. You see, when we build our foundation on, on Jesus, it changes everything. It changes everything. And so as we close this morning, I want to leave us with a couple of challenges, a couple of questions. First is this, where have my walls fallen down? Where have I simply accepted brokenness and dysfunction and sin as normal? Where have I just accepted that, that maybe this is the way that it has to be? And I'm grieving and I'm broken and I'm full of anxiety and I'm full of pain in my life and, and I'm hurting and, and I'm in pain and, and I just accepted this as normal. Maybe like Nehemiah, God is allowing this moment for our eyes to be open, for us to see the brokenness and the wreckage, the wreckage in our life so that it will break our heart so that we can see with new eyes as if for the very first time so that we can begin to discover and get curious. That leads me to the second question of where do you need to dig? Where do you need to dig to deconstruct? Maybe there's people in your life that are just so full of criticism and are critiquing you and are tearing you down. And maybe there's something in your life that it's destructive and you need to cut that out or stop doing that, or, or maybe there's some clutter in our life that we need to get rid of so that God can begin to do something new. We need to clear the ground and lay a fresh foundation on God's truth and on his word. Maybe there's a lie that you believe about yourself or about the word or about another person that God just wants to begin to, to clear all of the brush, clear back all of the, the rubble and the cracked parts of the wall so that we can rebuild. So where do you need to dig? And then the second part of that is, where do you need to dig so that you can lay a fresh foundation? Where we can learn to trust God all over again, or maybe for the very first time. For me, I know that this foundation is, is following Jesus as revealed in Scripture. And this has made all the difference in my life. Through all the ups and the downs, through all of the pain and the disappointment, through the losses and through the grief, God has become this foundation that I'm able to build upon. It's a touchstone, a cornerstone that I'm able to go back to and say, God, where are you? And then I'm able to begin to, to walk from that place. But it's, it's a place where we begin to discover and lay the foundation of following Jesus. So this morning, I invite you to discover, to get curious about following Jesus, to read scriptures and to lean in to him. May that be our challenge. May that be our call. And may that be our passion this morning. Well, this morning, as we close our service, we're actually going to close with a time of communion. So maybe if you didn't have a chance, you can pause and go and grab that and come back. But this morning, as we close, we want to take our time to remind ourselves of the foundation of our faith. That foundation is what we remember in communion. And when we take communion, we remember Christ's death 
and his resurrection and how he set us free from the burdens of brokenness and where our walls are broken down and where there's been destruction and wreckage in our lives. Where we once walked in darkness, separated from God, God sent his son to conquer the principalities of and powers of this world of, of death and of brokenness. And God conquered Satan and all of his, his angels and dominions. And, and God sets us free to follow him. And he did it through his death and resurrection on the cross. And so this morning, let us take the chance to rediscover that following Jesus is possible as we dedicate our lives to following him as we remind ourselves of the Lord's Supper. So let's take the Lord's Supper together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with all of his disciples in the upper room, and he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat of God's broken body for you. Then afterwards, Jesus took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant, which is my blood poured out for you. May you drink deep of the love of God. And may you experience his grace that washes over and cleanses us from all sin and sets a new, firm, secure foundation for all of eternity in your life. Let's drink together of God's grace and his love for you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love and your grace for each and every one of us. God, thank you for the example of Nehemiah and his heart to, to evaluate and to see and to build his foundation secure and steadfast for your people. And God, thank you for doing that in our lives through your death and resurrection, where we can build our lives on your life and be secure in knowing you. God, we recognize that we need you and we accept you into our lives. God, we believe that your grace washes over and cleanses us from all sin and brokenness. And we look to you this morning and this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, may you have a blessed and wonderful week this week. May you go in God's strength and in his peace. May you find yourself and your feet firmly planted on the foundation of God's truth. And may you walk in the way of Jesus. And may you too walk in the faith of Nehemiah. Join us next week as we come back and we dig in again to the life of Nehemiah as he follows that journey from discovery to a place of belonging. May you have a wonderful week. Go in God's grace.